The summers are shorter and hotter. The winters are longer and colder. Texas is having blizzards. The ice caps are melting. Some say this is the natural and inevitable outgrowth of human existence. Some say that humans must take responsibility for addressing the effects of climate change. And still others deny it even exists. Welcome to The Faithful Citizen. I'm Reverend Leah Daughtry, and today we're discussing global warming and climate change. guest today is the Reverend Dr. Ambrose Carroll, Senior Pastor of the Church by the Side of the Road in Berkeley, California. He is also CEO of Green the Church, an organization that focuses on climate change, ecology, and how faith communities can do their part to address the crisis of climate change and global warming. We all know that the summers are hotter, the winters are milder, or the winters are colder, depending on where you live. What are the issues we should be thinking about how should we uh, approach these issues what's our lens what's our understanding and so there is no better guest to have and i am just thrilled to have reverend carol with us to help us peel this onion and get to the heart of climate change and global warming dr carol welcome to the faithful citizen thank you so very much so very glad to be in the house on today Thank you, thank you, thank you. So we're going to dive in, and I want you. I want to start with you've done some tremendous work, and your story of how you got involved in these issues is so important. But before we do that, let's just level set. Give us the one hundred and one on what we need to know about climate change and global warming right now. Is it real? Is it just a figment of our imagination? We hear all kinds of things in the political specter. So what? Tell us what we should know so we can all start on the same page. Here. Oh, well, the climate is changing, um, and the reality is human beings are impacting the speed of that change. Uh, we know that climate is changing. How do you know, Parish? Because I asked the mothers of the church if they sensed any difference, and they told me in Oakland, California, that the tomatoes are growing much smaller than they used to. The climate is changing. The question is, uh, does humanity have an impact on that? And the answer is yes, um, our appetite for fossil fuels, uh, for trying to energize ourselves using dead things, using not resources, but our relatives who are buried beneath the earth, uh, us using that kind of fuel instead of fuel that is alive from the sun and from the wind uh, is speeding up uh, uh, the degree of carbon in the air that's making our patterns on the earth different from what they should be. The history of the world as we know it is a history of good weather uh, and the way that we take advantage of resources, um, the way that we take advantage of black bodies, right? Uh, is affecting that change. That's really interesting. I've never heard it discussed in terms of using dead things versus using live things. So yeah. when we say fossil fuels, I that those are dead things, right? What are fossil fuels? Fossil fuels are, you know, uh, the best way to say it. You know, you talk about the ice age, you talk about uh, di dinosaurs that are buried under the ground, 
dead fossils, right? Uh, the, you know, um, the same way I, I always say I I live in Oakland, California. The family's from Oakland, but we're originally from Hollywood, Holly, Louisiana, down in the woods. And there in Holly, Louisiana, is the family graveyard that, you know, once people in some of these areas start developing, uh, they'll put gates around the graveyard. They'll uh They'll put cement on one side, covering up the bodies, right, of those who have died. Uh, it's disrespectful. What we've done with oil uh, in the world, you know, that we are actually digging up fossil fossils, the remains of our relatives who used to be alive on the planet, that we're digging up those fossils in order to fuel um, our economy. So, Dr. Carroll, uh, this is a fascinating discussion I've already learned. Uh, now now I know what fossil fuels are, dead fuels versus live fuels. Thank you. So uh, how did you get into this? Because we often think about the environment, climate, global warming, all, all of these concerns as sort of, and the use to my grandmother's term, white folks business. Uh, and, you know, there aren't a lot of black voices, brown voices, talking about environmental. So what drove you to this space? Thanks so much for asking. Um, and again, um, I am a ordained Baptist minister. I really feel like this has always been our space. It's always a part of our story. Um, yes, there is a quote unquote environmental uh, movement and landscape in this country, you know, that deals with uh, Theodore Roosevelt and conservation, right? There's always this move of the Sierra Club trying to save the planet and, you know, save the polar bears. And of course, you know, we aren't as much worried about the polar bears as we are about uh, the safety of our cousin Pookie, you know what I mean? And making sure that Pookie has what he needs. So yes, uh, to a large degree, um, it is seen and sometimes articulated as a white issue. But when, it, when we talk about the salvation of life on this planet, as we know it, um, I would dare say that we cannot leave those same, those same individuals who extract fuel those same individuals that because of greed use uh, the planet. Uh, I was with the Native Americans and they said that these things are not necessarily resources, right? But they are our relatives, that, that, that you would use our dead relatives, the died dinosaurs, or you would use our dead relatives, uh, the trees uh, for your use, uh, the same way that you abuse the land, you abuse uh, black and brown bodies, right? And to leave these same individuals who are presently engaged in that kind of uh, economic uh, fervor and say that they are the ones who will save the planet at the same time uh, would not be responsible. So I, I think that it is incumbent upon indigenous people, people who know the land, um, and all people are indigenous of some place. Uh, but to be in conversation with those um, uh, uh, who care for the planet to make sure that we live sustainably with the planet uh, for the next 3,000 years. Um, and so it's really about faith. As we mature, we take responsibility to love unconditional. And um, I'm a, a, you know, my grandfather was preacher, my dad. 
Um, and so uh, I'm in Oakland, California. I always say that the family is from Hollywood, Holly, Louisiana, down in the woods. And my, you have two older brothers who are pastors, a solicitor who pastors. And when we came out of the interdenominational theological seminary in at Atlanta, Georgia, back in 1997, we started something called Carol Ministries International where we did a lot of things around family reunions, around Christian education, um, around the history um, of our families and looking at the migration patterns of African-Americans. Uh, I was a youth pastor in San Francisco at the historic Third Baptist Church and um, was running around doing Brown. stuff. Yeah, that's Dr. Amos C. Brown. Um, and work working with him ran into Van Jones when he was doing a piece called Books Not Bars. Um, speed up about 10 years later, I was pastoring in Colorado and ran across his book, The Green Job Economy. And I felt for the first time that one of my peers had articulated what would be the large big tent issue of our day. Being a son of the civil rights movement, uh, you know, being there with Amos Brown as he talked about being present with men like Megger Evers and so many, and many others. I wondered what would be the big tent social issue of our day. And when I read that book by Van Jones, I felt that he had articulated because the environment uh, encapsulates every other facet of life and living. Right. So and so I became a Green for All fellow um, and learned about food sovereignty, about renewable energy, about building efficiency. I learned about the environmental justice battles. Uh, but there were people there uh, from urban centers, from rural centers. There were white folk from West Virginia. Right. Trying to figure out how to make this transition. Uh, but there were not a lot of uh, people who talked about Western religion. A few months later, I ran into a young lady named Sally Bingham, uh, who founded an organization called Interfaith Power and Light, one of the largest faith organizations. They're in 40 states across the country. And I found my tribe. I found the people of faith working on these issues, but not a lot of people of color. And I found that we had to pull together what I call the sleeping giant that is the African-American church, because there has not been a successful social movement uh, in this country without the tone of the black church. Um, and so we founded Green the Church to do just that. People are always asking the question, is the black church interested? Is the black community interested in the environment? And the reality is we're just talking about language. We don't talk about things the way white folk talk about it. That's their language. That's their way of talking about it. We may not be at their table, but that doesn't mean that we're not in the conversation. We may not consider ourselves uh, environmentalists, uh, but we sure enough consider ourselves revivalists. Anything old, decaying, can be made brand new again. And we believe in revival so much that we have them four or five times a year, right? In the black church, we talk about renewal. We talk about regeneration. We talk about if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, they'll hear from heaven, right? And if they turn from their wicked ways, they'll hear from heaven and I will heal their land. This is our stuff. Uh, this is our language. Uh, you talk about you know, sustainability, we've been doing more with less for years. 
You can't talk about quilting without noting that that is a sustainable practice. You can't talk about, listen, they're talking about in the environmental movement, you know, you talk about different medications, herbs, uh, you know, our folk have known more about Mary Jane and all that stuff for years. We just couldn't talk about it, right? Because even in church, theologically, uh, we use a term, we have to begin to decolonize the black church because some of our theology has taken us away from what grandmama and them knew to be true all the time. And the reality is grandmother and them who were still Eastern stars who still knew, knew the potions, they still knew how to put it together. Uh, we call it Dr. Buzzard, right? And you laugh, right? But Dr. Buzzard was still a deacon at the church, right? But we just kind of stopped talking about that because our church has always had to be subversive, right? We right. knew that we couldn't talk about everything all the time. You ever been in a house, your mom and them start talking about white folk and they start whispering? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our religiosity has always been subversive. A part of the problem is that we have forgotten that, that, that grandma and them hid some things. They didn't talk about some things. Mm-hmm. But generations have come that we have forgotten and began to look down. Um, on some of the practices that grandma and them had. And now I walk around Oakland, California, and I see these places called are they apocotheries, apocotheries. And everything that grandma and them got in their house is not for sale for more than we can afford. Come on, That's somebody true. lie. And, so, we, and uh, we're seeing now this whole, uh, we've always had black farmers, right, in the South, and they, they have been waging their own battle with the Department of Agriculture and against big right. agro-farming and all of that, but there always been this this set of farmers, and now, and maybe it's pandemic-related, and people in the house, people are growing food, you yes. see, all across Instagram, social, you see black people yes. now growing their own food, building yes. their own gardens, and I, so I, I wonder if people are starting to pay more attention, and the other thing, connect to point to that is all of these storms yes. and hurricanes and, and that are happening. Of course, the big one we know is Katrina, but it seems like there's a new storm every other month. And they're all in places where black people live because we're in these urban areas. And that seems directly connected to this issue around climate change. Am, am I wrong? Is that is that you got it? You listen. The systematic decay, you talk about, you know, crime in the communities, but the systematic movement of people, the fact that black people live in urban environments. So you talk about Katrina, but you talk about, you know, where infrastructure is not taken care of, where black people live. You talk about uh, the fact that some of the storms are hitting in those places, the fact that some of the buildings in those places are not up to par. So the flooding is worse. You talk about um, how systematically you talk about the water in Flint, right? That that wherever black and brown bodies are, investment is not made. So all of these are environmental justice issues. And the reality is that most of us are dying from cancers. Uh, my mother, mother-in-law died at 53 years old, lived her life in Bayview Hunters Point, right? Behind the shipyard where the atom bomb was taken, right? Uh, out to destroy brown bodies in Asia. This is where we live. Black churches, you talk about black churches and oil company. I know more mega churches, right? They bought land and then had problems building because the land was contaminated. 
Yes, the land is contaminated all over the country. You can dot the lines and where the land is contaminated, the black and brown bodies live. I grew up on 98th and E in deep East Oakland. And uh, I love the smell of Granny Goose potato chips in the morning. Right. Uh, but those chemicals at Granny Goose, right, are cancer causing agents. And so, again, we grow up not fighting these battles necessarily, and sometimes they have been fought and waged, but we don't necessarily connect them to the environmental movement. Again, because historically the environmental movement has been about taking land, again, from black and brown bodies and preserving it for nat national parks and things of that nature, where black folk, you know, coming from Mississippi, I know I can go out there to the national park, thousand acres of land, and I can stay. But what the white folk gonna be doing while I'm out there camping? So, so. let me ask you because we, it's it's one of these. I was at a Democratic Party meeting. I'm a DNC member, and uh, you know it was resolution time. So there are all these resolutions, and one of the hot button issues one year was the environment. This 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 idea about the environment. But the other resolution was around making race and racial justice the priority. And the two things were warring. Ah, ah. They were warring. There were the folks who said, we need to focus on racial justice because folk, if we can get racial justice, environmental justice will flow. Then the folks said, you know, no, we need to do environmental justice because racism. And it was honestly got one of the most heated things I'd seen at a DNC meeting. In the end, the racial justice resolution won because we had to do one or the other for some reason that I don't quite remember. But what's a way to talk about that? with our allies where the two things can mesh. I was sitting next to a woman at that meeting and she said, we've got to do it. I said, for a lot of our people, they can't get to recycling because they're just trying to get their child across the street to go through the park safely to go to school. So is, how do we talk about this in a way that builds and fosters collaboration, allyship uh, to work on both issues? Because there's no reason we can't do both, I don't think. In the West, we have a way of segmenting things that's not necessarily a part of our a part of our culture. You know, in in, in some places on the African continent, there, there there are no words for sacred and secular, right? Mm -hmm. It's all one, right? So you you can't separate anything from mother. You know, you can't separate anything around here from Mother Earth any way you can separate anything from black women, right? It's all, it's all, it's all, um, it's all her. And so I think um, that in the conversation, especially when it comes down to money and finance, there are some of our friends in the conservation uh, era, it is true that we need to keep um, the climate, you know, under what is it, 1.5, some kind of word in terms of kind of what's needed. And it's like, if you don't keep it there, we're gonna have these catastrophes. And the problem is some of our, you know, white allies are like, let's keep it there by any means necessary. Even if when we shift, cause here's the deal, we wanna shift from a dirty energy economy to a clean energy economy. The problem is those who make the money in the dirty energy economy that keep black and brown bodies on the bottom in a dirty energy economy, when we make the shift, they still want to keep black and brown bodies at the bottom. Mm 
<laughs> right? And so what we end up saying to our friends that are ready to make the deal, right, with things like cap and trade, right, which means you can buy a certain, you can be taxed if you're, you know, having these fossil fuels growing and running, uh, but you can be taxed and then the money uh, either will go black back to black and brown communities, which it netted us, or it just gives you a way to keep doing it. You know what I mean? So the the reality is we have to talk about ethics and we have to talk about racism and we have to talk about unethical capitalism. And sometimes our white friends are not, not even just our white, white friends. Sometimes we're not really willing to talk about what we have to give in terms of raw capitalism, in terms of taking care of all of God's people. That's the conversation that we don't want to. It's one thing to say, let's conserve uh, your city park. But then we say, well, we got black people that never got their 40 acres and a mule. Everybody gets quiet. Mm -hmm. Right. So we can't talk about conserving all this land that we got and then tell black people that there's no land for you. That's where the that's where the conversation runs into a juggernaut. But it's good to have to have the conversation because mm -hmm. it's only there that we really begin to peel back uh, the reality of what ethics really is. Well, when we move into a clean energy economy, it cannot look like um, like the economy of the United States of America that always, always, always makes the deal by drawing a line between what white folk get and mm -hmm. what non-white folk get. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And until we really deal with that. And, and so it's everything. It's housing. It's redlining. It's gentrification. Mm -hmm. And I always say, listen, I'm not here to get social justice folk on the environmental bus. No, 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 no. We're here to get environmental folk on, on the social justice bus. <laughs> That's really what we are doing because they are all, it's all the same conversation. It's mm -hmm. so fascinating. I love um, that you, one of the phrases on your website is you stand at the intersection of church and the environmental movement. Uh, oh, yeah. And there's so much happening. We've heard all this stuff about the Green New Deal, and now it's sort of like this knee-jerk response. You know, people don't even know what's in the Green New Deal. So, uh, but what can we do? What can I, as an individual, do? What can people of faith do? Faith organizations do to advance uh, 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 environmental uh, practices? To do environmental practices? To engage in sustainability things? Is uh, uh, there's a church in Chicago? I think Otis Moss's church. They've planted a garden. Is is should we be planting gardens? Should we be? What can we do? What do you advise? Uh, people of faith to do right now? Excellent question. Excellent question. Again, I, you know, said my, my, my dad, like his father before him or like others, my, my dad was, was an agriculture major. He was number seven out of 10. So that family farmed the land, took care of the land. And as one of the young, younger brothers, he was able to go to college and he went to college as an agriculture major. Most uh, of the men and most of our pastors. You talk about um, all of our schools, our AME schools, right? Our agriculture and mechanical schools. Most of, of our pastors were farmers. Mm 
You know what I mean? So, uh, you you know, when you talk about going to Hampton Institute, it wasn't just about preaching and singing. It was about preaching, singing and farming. So we talk about what Dr. Moss is doing. It's about taking care of people in a holistic way. It's just taking care of all of our needs. And if you don't know how to feed yourself, then you're really not as mature as a human being as you can be. The reality is keeping our hands in the soil, not in the dirt, <laughs> but in the life-giving soil, I think is a part of what has always kept us as a people thriving that gives us that energy. So yes, we should plant gardens, but we should be good stewards. We should understand our energy needs. Uh, there are so many churches who are paying way too much money in terms of energy, in terms of conservation. Uh, we should do, our churches should be hubs because these storms are going to keep coming, right? And we have to be resilient hubs. And if we're going to do that, we've got to look at the whole totality of what the community needs. And to talk about what the community needs is to talk about environmentalism and sustainability. So it's not that we have to do anything different. I will say, you know, people ask, what can I do as an individual? I was reading a book by uh, I think Naomi Klein. Um, it's called The World on Fire, I think. And she was talking to some people in Asia and she noticed that even though, you know, they've been abused by the system, they're working, building computers and they've never used a computer, they're still wearing these T-shirts of American industry. And she's like, well, how can you all wear that stuff? Because those are the people that's, you know, abusing you. And they kind of laughed at her and they were kind of like, there's nothing that we can do individually about climate change. I don't care how much you recycle. That's not going to stop it. The only thing we can do that's going to hold back the ravages of climate change, we're going to have to do that together, right? Um, in America, we talk about, you know, individual, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever, which is not a reality, right? So there are things that we should do because they are right and because they are good for us. So, right, we should you know, drink more water. We should not eat food like substances. We should do all these things because they are good for us. Not because those things are going to stop climate change, but we should do them because they are the right thing to do. We should do them as a part of our spiritual growth and our commitment to God in terms of doing justice, loving mercy, right? So, um, you know, you talk about recycling or picking up trash or not throwing stuff on the ground. All of this is respectful for Mother Earth, right? And so we that's who we should be individually, but not necessarily because it's gonna stop us coming. And I always say, listen, um, this planet will survive for millions of years. Climate change right now, what humans are doing will affect humans' ability to live on the planet. And I often say, even if my brother, the bumblebee survives, I'll be satisfied with that because it's about life. Um, and life moving and life vibrant. So I know that what I do individually, again, is not necessarily going to stop climate change. I can eat less meat, right? And what's going on with our, uh, with our industry around cows and things of that nature is helping to pollute the levels of CO2 that it emits is outrageous. The way that we're trying to live on the planet is not healthy for us or the planet. And so there are things that we have to join forces. We need to be present in our faith communities and our national bodies, whether that's the National Baptist Convention, whether it's the AMEs or the CMEs, we need to show up and let you know the world know 
where we stand in terms of the use of fossil fuels. We have to stand up, you know, right now what's going on in our country, this fight for the right to vote, right? That is an environmental issue. We need to be standing up saying, this is what we believe and this is wrong. And we need to note where we are in the world right now and not put our, ha- our heads in the sand. So it's about standing t- together, being the best stewards that we can. At Green the Church, we're trying to make sure that the black church can aggregate, which means that when it comes to building efficiency, I always say we don't own a lot of buildings. We don't own a lot of, down- a lot of skyscrapers downtown, but we own a whole lot of faith buildings that grandmama didn't have sold chicken dinners and potato pies and I had note burning services on. So sometimes we end up crying with a loaf of bread under our arms. The reality is, what are you going to do with what you have? All of those buildings need to be retrofitted. And uh, and if we sit around, we will have people from other communities coming in uh, saying, we will fix up your building for free. And they will bring in a workforce. And then we'll still say, my grandson doesn't have a job. We have to come together and aggregate around renewable energy, around building efficiency, workforce development, we need to make sure that in our cities and our regions that the policies that are going on in these states and these regions are can help us do what we have to do for one another. Uh, green the Church has three pillars, um, amplifying green theology, uh, promoting sustainable practices, and building power for political and economic change. These are the things that we are doing that we are calling people to. There's no other environmental organization for the black church. This is the largest environmental organization for the black church. When we talk about the black church, we're not just talking about uh, people in the United States of America. We're talking about internationally where where people of the African diaspora meet. Uh, what we know, we, we, we talk about the black church as an organization that existed right before, uh, quote unquote, Western civilization. There are things that we do that we have been doing that are in our DNA. So you talk about our people in the midst of these storms beginning to farm, beginning to grow stuff. That's because it is in our DNA. Uh, it are things that we know on the inside. And I think it is about a. Uh, a renewal. It's about a reawakening. Um, and maybe in the midst of difficult times, we'll pull together. Um, and I think I've preached enough for a Thursday morning. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. I'm so glad that we had you here today to help us all get smarter and me and including myself about these issues. So it's it, it, as I wrap this up, uh, wrap up this conversation and, and I can keep going on this because I think there's so many layers and, and obviously this is a, an issue that's uh, become important to younger generations. They're more engaged on these issues than uh, a lot of us older people or 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 maybe we just think about it differently because, uh, you know, they may be more advocating on the policy side, but you have older people who are planting the gardens and who who doing So they maybe our approach is different, but we have the same kind of concerns and we may be uh, yeah. defining it differently. But I, I'm, I think for us, if I could sum it up, 
please. Uh, and as faithful citizens of these United States, faithful citizens of the world, I think the the the, the objectives of Green the Church are really what should be our objectives as faithful citizens, which is to understand uh, the green theology for, for whatever faith system you have that is about healing the land and caring for the earth that we've been giving our stewardship, promoting sustainable practices as a faithful citizen. How do I promote sustainable practices? And lastly, as a faithful citizen, how do I build power for political change, economic change for our nation, for the world? And I think the thing you said that I just have written down, I'm going to put it on my wall, consider what you can do with what you have. Yeah. Consider what you can do with what you have. You may not be able to plan a farm where you are, but you can write a letter. You can call somebody. You can do what you can do. Consider what you can do. If you want to know more, if you want to get smarter, if you want to understand dead dead things versus live things and dead energy versus live energy was my key learning for today, check out Reverend Carol at greenthechurch.org to learn more, to get smarter, and to learn what you can do to build sustainable practices, to understand your value system in the light of our uh, theology, and also to help build political power. Thank you so much, Reverend Carol. We look forward to having you again and continuing this conversation. Thank you so much, Bishop. God bless you. God keep you. God bless you, too. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check us out on social, at The Faithful Citizen, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Or check us out on our website at www.thefaithfulcitizen.org. Thanks again. Blessings to you.